Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, so today's uh, day long. Um, we'll take the opportunity to spend the day meditating together, um, walking meditation, sitting meditation. Uh, there'll be opportunities for Q and A. Uh, we'll go from the end of the. Uh, session today it uh, ends at uh, five o'clock, and uh, it has the title of uh, the anxiety of impermanence and the impermanence of anxiety. And uh, yesterday I was talking to the community and uh, thinking, uh, okay, I've got this day long, and I started trying to get my mind around it. Um, and it's been 100-degree weather up at the monastery, and, like, my mind is just not moving <laughs> to uh, uh, preparation, reflection, and uh, I think, okay, theme is anxiety of impermanence, impermanence of anxiety... Uh, I'll get there, and it'll be impermanent, and I'm not anxious about it. So, <laughs> so we'll just, we just have no idea what we're going to do today. Uh, but uh, I think uh, just the, the reality is there's a lot of people here uh, out of interest and uh, wanting to uh, be here. People had uh, obviously, probably lots of choices of what you're going to do on a Saturday uh, on the uh, uh, July 4th weekend so that uh, people have chosen to come and meditate and spend time in a, a quiet space uh, with an opportunity for reflection. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, so I'm sure that there uh, uh, things will uh, manifest in a, a good enough way. Uh, that's one of the... Uh, uh, as a, the, the mantras of the Thai forest tradition, people ask you, how are you? And if you're in California, oh, everything's great. You know? and if, if you're a Thai forest tradition, somebody, how are you doing? Oh, it's good enough. So, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, uh, you know, and so that, uh, taking that, that, that theme uh, and... Uh, um, just that sense of, of okay, both anxiety and impermanence and how they interact, how they interplay and how we um, both can uh, create uh, anxiety, uh, experience anxiety, uh, be the object of anxiety um, and uh, uh, recognize, well, that's those are feelings, and uh, those are those are uh, very impermanent. Uh, and the the word that when say the Buddhist jargon of the word impermanence is uh, uh, from the scriptural language anicca. And uh, I think one of the things is as is one begins to study Buddhism. I think it's helpful to get a sense of what the um, say what the scriptural language uh, is pointing to, because sometimes we we pick up the 
the jargon as it's translated. And, uh, uh, and it's not as if it's not true, uh, but sometimes it's just part of a picture. So that uh, just that word um, impermanence uh, as an aspect of change, um, arising and ceasing, uh, anicca, is one aspect. Uh, because also the another aspect of it is like nicha in in the scriptural language is constant something that's constant stable and anicha of course is what is inconstant so it's a little bit different flavor but I think it's important in the sense that because uh, what we're what we tend to uh, what we would love to have is something that is constant. Uh, and, and what we oftentimes seek in our, the world around us is a certain constancy. And, uh, and then the Buddha sort of bursts that bubble and says, it's all impermanent, or it's all inconstant. And um, my own teacher, Ajahn Chah, uh, would... Uh, had his own kind of spin on it, which is in terms of one of the the ways that he would talk about it is uh, uncertain or unsure. Uh, so that that word of anicca of, uh, and when we look at say impermanence or inconstancy, then I think the habit of the human mind is to to go out as an, and experience something as an object. Say, this object is impermanent. And, uh, but when we say unsure or uncertain, then it's more subjective. It's how we feel about it. And both of those are, I mean, I think it's important to get that, that fill that picture out of what we're, when we say, you know, say, yeah, a, a Buddhist jargon word, like impermanence, uh, has, a, has a fuller picture that we can start to be attentive to. And, and how are we experiencing things externally? How are we experiencing it internally? And uh, that sense of, can we allow something to be unsure? Or uh, can we allow it to be uncertain? Um, because it is, actually, anyway. So... You know that that sense of of uh, where do we where do we look for our certainty? Uh, how do we what attempts do we make at trying to make things certain? Uh, and uh, you know that is uh, that's a great source of anxiety. Because <laughs> that 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 sense of of oh, I really I wish this were more sure. I wish that person, that situation. I wish my own mind were more, were more, unsh- were more sure. <laughs> my moods, I mean, that, that uh, uh, and, you know, sometimes we, we expend enormous amounts of effort trying to force the mind to be more, it's like trying to meditate, trying to make the mind stable and steady and sure and certain. 
that's really stressful. <laughs> so it is a real, oh, well what, well, what is a, maybe in a more appropriate refuge? And sort of that, that sense of, okay, recognizing the, that impermanence, uncertainty, unsure nature. And that actually alleviates a huge amount of the anxiety that we'll feel or the stress that we feel. Uh, so that just sort of opening that up to, hmm, how can I, can I just know this? Uh, and you realize, oh, there's a, we can trust in that knowing. And that's a, uh, uh, a really important foundation for, um, say, our Buddhist practice. And, and particularly when we, I think in terms of my, uh, my own background in the Thai forest tradition, um, the, uh, the uh, emphasis is so often just return to the knowing come back to the knowing, just being able to know, be aware, to be alert, to be attentive, and to trust that. And and see how the mind starts to negotiate, or fret, or worry, or, you know, get anxious about what what is it really. And and then uh, return to the knowing. And so that that sense of... of, uh, uh, that being an anchor uh, for our, our practice, our meditation, our engagement in the world around us. Because um, the it's important that, that uh, in terms of our uh, practice, our picking up the, the, the Buddha's teachings, uh, that uh, it's not just a, a meditation technique. It's not just something that you do uh, from time to time on a cushion uh, in a shrine room somewhere. Uh, but it's something that you start to integrate into all of the different aspects of your, of your life, all of the duties that we have, all of the uh, responsibilities that we have uh, as human beings, and, whether, and that's you know, whether we're in a, a monastery or... Because oftentimes people think, oh, the monastery is like you, they just monks. They just meditate all the time. You know, what else can? What else do you do in a monastery? Uh, of course, there's some people that I recognize who have come up and spent time at the monastery, and you realize, well, there's a lot. Like somebody's got to keep things clean and neat and tidy. People come to the monasteries. I remember uh, it was one of uh, Ajahn Chah's. Uh, responses to a, 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 a monk came to visit and sort of said, oh, everything is so neat and tidy at this monastery. The paths are all swept. And, um, oh, that's really hot. You know, how does, you know, who does that? And he said, oh, they sweep themselves, yeah. <laughs> you know, it isn't, that isn't the way it works. It's, it's you know, they're, and in the same way that uh, you live in a monastery and, and, uh, the, the facilities break down, and the, the, uh, everything needs to be looked after. Uh, it's like uh, so often the uh, like right now we have a building project on, and uh, uh, people ask, "Come and say, oh, is the monastery finished yet?" 
There's no such thing uh, as the being finished. You get one thing done, and then there's something else. And it's a uh, there's a really uh, a good example of that with uh, Ajahn Sumedho and Ajahn Amaro and a couple other monks, a few lay people. Um, they had this um, invitation, opportunity to to go to Egypt and. Uh, one of the monks, and when he was a layperson, was actually uh, could could read hieroglyphics and and uh, was was very interested. So it was, it was kind of fascinating. But anyway, part of the trip to go to to uh, uh, Egypt was also to go to the Sinai, and there's uh, uh, Saint Catherine's Monastery, which is the first monastery that was built in Christianity. And so, just over 1900 years ago. Uh, the monastery was established, and it's been constantly uh, inhabited uh, all this time. And uh, uh, so that uh, um, they went to visit, and a uh, monk came out to uh, receive them and uh, apologized, and sorry, because I'm sorry, there we'll have to go avoid going over that way because there's a building project going on and, and you know, I hope it's not an imposition and of course our monks just laughed and sort of said no, that's what monasteries are like and so 1900 years it hasn't been finished yet so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that, that so there's always you know, it doesn't matter where we are in our life there's always Various duties, various responsibilities, and learning how to pick those up. So whether we're studying, or we have family, or we are a job, and whatever, all of these things are need some attention and engagement, and to be able to pick those up in a way that we're not creating anxiety, stress, worry. Uh, and uh, yeah, the different ways that we 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 create uh, that sense of of uh, 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 dis-ease within the mind. So that then, and one of the ways, of course, is just being able to recognize the impermanence, the uncertainty, the inconstancy of that feeling of anxiety or whatever the feeling is that feels stressful or the distress um, and that uh, that's actually the the uh, I looked up in uh, uh, sort of the etymology of the word anxiety and it brought me back go anxious and then uh, is borrowed from the Latin which means to choke or to cause distress so that's a uh, um, the, that feeling of, of something causing distress and, and uh, being difficult to swallow. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, and, you know, much of human existence is sometimes difficult to swallow. Uh, but it's, it's what we're experiencing. And is that experience constant? Is it there all the time? feels like it is, 
but then our feeling, our projection, our, uh, can sometimes uh, be quite different from from the reality. So it's important that we have a a, a foundation for uh, investigating this or paying attention to it, and so that just these these themes of of both of anxiety or stress and what are, what are we feeling and then the the theme of anicca in terms of that impermanence changing uncertainty inconstant unsure quality to be able to bring attention to that now one of the things that I think is really important is how do we pay attention to it? And they, uh, as a, because um, we can say, you know, we should, we should know it, but then how do we even know things? Because usually what our habit is to think about it. I mean, we think about knowing it. We think about solving it. We think about understanding it. And uh, uh, you know, talk about impermanent thoughts are just incredibly unstable. And uh, so that, that uh, you know, do we, you know, so we just trying to think things through uh, so that we can have, have a clear thinking about something. Um, to me, that's a quagmire. It's, it's, it's not really a, a, safe, a safe place. Uh, even in terms of our say, emotion, how do we feel about things? I mean, it's a bit more steady than our thoughts, but uh, you know, they they move really quickly. And they move so that to me, the the uh, like coming back to the body is such an important foundation for establishing awareness, uh, establishing a, a clarity. Uh, so that the using the, the the experience of the body as the anchor of of how we where, where do we where's our root where's our where's our base where's where do we find some solidity uh, so that uh, coming back to the body uh, is uh, uh, something that I think is really essential and then and then we can and where do I where do I feel Anxiety. Where do I feel unsure? Where do I feel impermanence? And so that okay, how do I feel that? What's what's what is the feeling? Because then it starts to get a bit more tangible. So well, how do I? How am I? How am I tensing up? How am I, uh, What's where is it churning? Where is it? How can I? How can I just be present with this and relax with it and know that? So these are are tools that we have to uh, familiarize ourselves with and, and uh, develop some skill with. And so that are, as a, uh, say, as a practice tool, uh, understanding the mind, understanding our own hearts, um, foundation of mindfulness of the body. It's really, to me, it's really essential, essential, important. And, and I think before we, 
say, uh, I go on and on too long, uh, I think it's important that we, today's a practice day, uh, and to bring it back to practice. Uh, we're, we've begun the day coming together, uh, and uh, uh, there's a lot of people here today, uh, and uh, it's, I mean, it's supportive to realize, okay, everybody, everybody's here uh, out of a choice, and that's, that's, a, that's something to delight in. So that to uh, take, the, uh, take the time to uh, develop a, a, our, our meditation as well as uh, listening to teachings. Uh, so that uh, if we could uh, uh, take this time to sit meditation uh, quietly, some of the reflections that I've given, some of the perspectives I've given, just to sort of you know, let that roll through the mind, uh, but come back to the body. Relax whether one's sitting in a chair or sitting on the floor uh, to just get a good feel for one's posture. And uh, um, sitting up um, upright um, so that there's a... Because uh, that already affects the uh, say the, the the mind in the sense of just having to sit upright and and hold the the posture upright not tense not tight uh, not rigid um, but uh, a certain uh, application of of uh, an energy to uh, have the have the spine nice and straight, uh, the uh, the head tilted forward just slightly, uh, just so that the uh, your head is uh, balanced, uh, upright on the on the, on the spine. The shoulders are are, are balanced. As balanced as best one can, uh, the uh, I've been seeing a physiotherapist lately, and he'll sort of move my body and say, "Okay, how's that feel?" I said, "Well, it feels odd." He said, "That's straight." <laughs> so it's you know we get what we get used to, but it's making it a, uh, a like a just a conscious effort to be as balanced as we can and as relaxed as we can. Taking the, um, the experience of the breath, and to be attentive to the sensation of the breath as it comes into the body, and as it goes out, breath coming in, breath going out. One can feel the sensation of the whole breath as it comes in, just sort of how does one experience it from the tip of the nose down into the, 
the abdomen and the chest, or how do we experience it? Same as the out-breath, just how do we experience the feeling of the breath as it goes out? It's that rhythm of the, the abdomen falling, and chest uh, movement, the sensation of the breath coming out of the tip of the nose. And using the, the breath and the body as, as an anchor for attention. Not um, trying too hard to uh, be absolutely focused on one particular point or in one particular way. That in itself is often a source of anxiety, getting it right. Uh, but just relaxing into that experience of the breath. And allow the breath to soften the body, open up the, the chest a bit in terms of oh, just settling, allowing the, the attention to be present with where the sensation seems most apparent or most interesting, and just staying with that. Inevitably, the mind will wander, just to reestablish awareness. Once you notice it, it's that reestablishing of attention, resetting that mindfulness. the in-breath and the out-breath are very visible, tangible expression of impermanence. It's of course why we can actually live, have existence. And allowing that, that impermanence to be a, uh, yeah, a basis of, say, of well-being. Because often we, you know, we try so hard to either figure it out or try to control. And you realize, well, just letting it be impermanent. Being alert, being attentive to that experience. Then there's a, a sense of, of, of clarity and space can arise around that.
I'll leave uh, the instructions for now and just let everybody just be alert, be attentive to the breath and the quality of knowing and the experience of this impermanence, the inconstancy.
Take the opportunity now to change postures, and we'll we'll do some walking meditation. I'm not sure if everybody is familiar with walking meditation, um, but the uh, with uh, um, basically you know, we're using that same facility or faculty of knowing, being alert, being attentive to, uh, to the posture of, of walking, to finding a shady spot uh, somewhere. Uh, I mean, there's the meadow, the parking area, there's uh, areas around. Um, uh, some people can be in here. Um, but uh, taking the, uh, and usually taking a, uh, it's walking meditation, not wandering meditation. Uh, so, so that, uh, just taking a, um, a designated uh, path, um, usually somewhere between 15, 25 paces, uh, find a flat spot, and uh, and then just, designating that and then walking slowly it's helpful to walk uh, a bit slower than normal um, just in the sense that if we walk at a normal pace our minds usually do what they normally do and uh, that's usually not helpful um, so that uh, just slowing down so that there's a uh, again a, a grounding and anchoring uh, in the in in the awareness of the of the body, sensation of touch, um, bringing the sensation of touch down to one's feet, uh, so that that sensation of touch as we're uh, touching the ground, uh, lifting the foot, right foot, putting the right foot down, touch, lifting the left foot, moving, putting it down, slowly. Uh, walking in a way that bringing attention down into the uh, extremities. And again, it's, um, say, the habit of the mind is to go up in the head, um, think things through, um, be planning this, uh, remembering that, and just to come back to that simple sensation of Touch and uh, coming away from the the uh, away from the head and down into the down into the feet. Give yourself a break, uh, and uh, and that that's, uh, again it gives a bit of space uh, for that awareness to start to pervade uh, our experience, and not trying to focus too tightly. Uh, not trying to be absolutely um, uh, one-pointed, uh, which is another kind of say another word in Buddhist jargon, is that one-pointed concentration, um, and 
that's a good way to make yourself tense. And, uh, and again, another, you know, another say that word that is usually that one-pointed uh, from Buddhist Arkan, uh, uh, another valid, very valid translation for that is unification. So that uh, letting the mind unify, uh, that, that to me that's always been appealing. So that uh, using the the uh, again that that rhythm of the walking, uh, relaxing into that rhythm, paying attention to that simple act of. Lifting a foot, moving it, setting it down. Lifting foot, moving it, setting it down. Getting to the end of the designated walking space, stopping, turning around, and then actually really stop, um, physically and mentally. Just sort of, go, am I, am I here? Um, uh, because our minds can go all over the place. And so that at each time we get to the end of the path to really recollect, uh, am I present? Am I here? Um, and if not, then to restart. And it's not uh, that it's a... Uh, uh, there isn't any need for any kind of judgment about it, but it's just like um, that's, what the, that's what the mind does. The human mind is... is uh, uh, it's all over the place. That's what, uh, remember, uh, Ajahn Chah uh, asked to define what a human being is. And he said, human beings, human beings are beings with issues. <laughs> and it's, okay, that's what we do. Uh, so, but that, what we also have the opportunity to do is to see it clearly, get a, get a context around it, uh, to release and relinquish uh, that that habit of of obsessing on our on our issues, uh, and uh, and the walking is a is a great way to to help that that using the the this cultivation of mindfulness or the mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of walking. It's using the body to anchor attention. And for all of the ways that the mind can, can uh, proliferate, get scattered, uh, get obsessed, body is always in the present moment. <laughs> it's sort of, it's a, it's a great, it was a really great revelation for me. Is there, okay, body is always in the present moment. I can always come back to the body to get anchored, get re reestablished, and and there's a fresh opportunity for clarity. So that using that that experience of the body, that that simple rhythm of walking, uh, to to relax, to settle, and just to enjoy the space here, uh, it's a great opportunity. Uh, and we tend to uh, sometimes get so obsessed with our meditation that we forget to en- enjoy ourselves, and and, uh, and that uh, uh, it's a great shame. So that uh, um, you know, the Spirit Rock is this set in this uh, wonderful space, and uh, the uh, is very peaceful. The environment is peaceful. Uh, 
and let the environment work on you. Let the let the forest and the nature around you just let it let it seep in and let everything else go go. And it's like you're breathing in and breathing out, just letting everything go, uh, and just being being with that quality of knowing, of awareness, uh, of attention. Now that uh, that opportunity to recognize that just the nature, the nature of the mind is to know. That's its fundamental nature. And it's, uh, it's one of the fundamental teachings uh, that, uh, say, Ajahn Chah received from his teacher, Ajahn Man. And he said when he first started practicing, and it's something that he bringing up and encouraging us as just to learn how to pay attention uh, to the difference between the mind and the mind objects. Because we get the nature of the mind, the fundamental function of the mind is just to know. We can know things, we can be aware, we can be attentive. And the nature of mind objects is to objectify, to proliferate, to have like this, to dislike that, to want this, to want, not want that. This should be, this shouldn't be. That's a mind object. Uh, and we see that, oh, I, then the, the object is there, but then there's the mind that knows that. And I can keep, it isn't that we have to annihilate the mind objects, or they annihilate the moods of the mind. That's, I mean, it's fruitless anyway. But you start to realize, ah, I can can make a choice between these. I've got the freedom to come back to the mind itself, this quality of awareness, quality of the mind. And it's a lot more peaceful. It's a lot more pleasant, so that that uh, and then and then it'll be impermanent. But <laughs> but it's but then it's sort of okay. If you, you've got you realize I've got this refuge that I can keep coming back to, and you strengthen that rather than keep getting entangled in the things that stir us up all the time. So it's a it's really simple. But it's something we, so easy to overlook. Um, and that's why I think it's so important to have an anchor with the body. Get, a f- comf- get familiar and comfortable with being in your body. Because um, that's, again, this, it's, you're in the present moment. Uh, you can, there's a tangible sense of, okay, I'm here. Because uh, so often... I guess as uh, uh, you know, as just this modern um, culture uh, kind of habituates us to experiencing the world from sort of from the neck up, and, and it's just is is we're 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 up in our heads all the time, so that to. Just coming back and getting familiar with that. And 
Oh, I can relax. I can be comfortable. I can be present. I can be steady. I can watch from this place. And you realize, okay, how do I, how do I get familiar with that? So that's what practice is. And of course, it's, it takes practice. Uh, so that uh, uh, we'll take this opportunity to do some uh, walking meditation and uh, just to, for people to quietly go out, find a space, and then uh, say half an hour, ring the bell, and come back. Yeah. Okay?
So, settling back in. Um, the... Practices that we do um, are are actually extremely simple, um, and uh, straightforward, really, <coughs> and. One of the things that that is. Um, necessary as a as a part of this, say Buddhist practice, uh, is is that we that we keep doing it. Uh, the uh, um, it's like uh, remember uh, my teacher Ajahn Chah, you know, saying that uh, you know you you study the teachings of the Buddha this much and you practice this much <laughs> so that that uh, that's a uh, uh, sense of, of uh, getting that proportion um, so that uh, we uh, uh, we have these uh, uh, teachings that we um, you know they're not that that complicated that difficult uh, we all breathe, we all walk, we all sit, walk, lie down, stand. Uh, those are the, say, the four basic postures of meditation, sitting, walking, standing, lying down. I think we're all capable of that. Um, the uh, uh, aspects of, of uh, uh, say, the, the, of course, there are many different meditation techniques Methods uh, in 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 the Buddhist teachings, um, but uh, um, they're, uh, they're the most common one that the Buddha did teach. If one looks through the scriptures, so the most common one that he did teach was mindfulness of breathing, and um, they're. Uh, 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 you know, there's other, uh, of course, teachings, but they do come back to just understanding the body and the mind, uh, that that fundamental experience of, of being a human being, and learning how to uh, understand our uh, uh, the conditions that we live in. Uh, and to to be able to investigate it uh, from a place of, of what uh, how is this affecting me uh, so that that um, when the Buddha points to uh, impermanence uh, and uh, another word that the Buddha can uses all the time so the in terms of the the universal characteristics of existence that anicca impermanence uncertainty inconstancy um, dukkha in terms of 
uh, I mean, so often translated as suffering, but I mean, it's, it's just like, see, yeah, anxiety, uh, stress, uh, discontent, uh, dis-ease, dissatisfaction. Uh, it's just, it's really ordinary. Everybody experiences that. Uh, and then the characteristic of anatta, uh, of not-self, um, and that sense of uh, what we tend to um, assume, uh, you know, what is self, what is me, what is mine, um, is uh, yeah, we tend not to investigate it very clearly, and and then we we take our Say the experience of the body uh, as this is me, this is who I am, this is myself. Uh, our feelings, whether they're pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, uh, this is this is who I am, what I am. This is myself. This is mine. Um, our perceptions in terms of of uh, memories are, are what we what we place importance on. Um, uh, take that as this is self, this is who I am. Uh, mental formations in terms of thoughts, emotion, um, whether they're wise or foolish, whether they're intelligent or completely off the wall, uh, we take them, oh, this is me, this is mine, this is who I am. So this sense, and consciousness itself, just the sense of of uh, cognizing and knowing of of uh, uh, um, the uh, the world around us, the sense contact that we have. Uh, is it, this is we we assume that, and and the Buddha is not self, and that's a a uh, uh, it's not a and I think it's interesting. Because one of um, everybody will know that that uh, the Buddha teaches the middle way. I mean, that's a fundamental. If you've been introduced to the Buddha's teachings at all, then you realize, okay, the, one of the signature characteristics of the Buddha's teaching is it's called the middle way or the middle path, and um, and this teaching of not self is actually another expression of the middle path or middle way in the sense that uh, again uh, using the coming back to the language of the Buddha uh, the sense of the word atnata um, so atta means self in the sense of self I me mine it's the basis of that sense of that, that stance of, of me and mine but then the other extreme is vitratta, which means negation of self, annihilation of self, pushing away of self. And atnatta is your middle way. It's not self. It doesn't mean that we don't experience it, we don't feel that way, we don't have a, um, um, uh, say, Buddhists don't express um, uh, from a place of, of personal pronouns. Um, it, I mean, I've had 
as an abbot of a monastery, I've had people write letters asking to come and ordain or to practice at the monastery. It's been a huge amount of effort to write the letter so that there's no personal pronouns. That's just, there's a lot of self in that. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's just a convention that uh, we rely on and the world functions around. Um, but it gets heavy when we carry it. Uh, and that's where, let's say, this not-self is the opportunity to not carry it. We don't have to carry it around. So that, uh, so these aspects, so that the, uh, the, today, I mean, the doorway is impermanence, which is, is, uh, uh, you know, very, uh, I think it's a tangible uh, expression of the characteristics of experience and the way that we do create anxiety around the experience of impermanence. But I think it's helpful to look at the the uh, uh, that whole picture of the Buddha pointing to these universal characteristics, and it's by seeing them clearly that we have the opportunity for peace and for freedom. So that being willing to look, okay, this uh, experience is impermanent and, and it's inconstant, it's uncertain, it's unsure. And uh, yeah, how do I feel about that? How, do, well, how am I experiencing it? How am I relating to it? Because uh, I could be really happy about it or I could be really I'm terrified about it, and, and, but but it's a characteristic of experience. Uh, so that being able to, to to look at that, and and one of the things that the uh, the Buddha points to is the uh, in terms of investigation, uh, being able to um, realize that there's. The impermanence is oftentimes hidden by the continuity that we experience, or that we feel, or we see. There's like there's a there's this impression of continuity. It's like um, I mean, just looking at a, a human body, and uh, I say, there, there, it feels like it's really. Constant, and uh, 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 but of course it doesn't take that much reflection to sort of uh, no these are really impermanent phenomena, uh, and uh, but even when we uh, our impression say even of ourselves is is there's a certain constancy there. And that, that uh, you know, and it, even when we look at a mirror, especially as you as say for myself, I'm going to, what am I, about 67, and uh, that's getting old. <laughs> so that, that uh, but that isn't how I perceive myself, you know, in the sense of, because of, we perceive ourselves, in terms of, of capability or energy, it always goes back to some sort of idea about oneself. Uh, so that that 
but you know reality keeps impinging <laughs> which is great because that's that's where we have the opportunity to to relinquish to let go and to okay it's because it's not self anyway uh, but that the the desperate attempt to to, to prop it up uh, and then, of course, all the, the, the phenomena around us, uh, that, that sense of, of change is, is, uh, and, and uncertainty, uh, is, doesn't have to be a source of anxiety. It can be a source of, of confidence and clarity. Say, oh, this is the way it is. But, the, so, but to reflect in terms of where is that continuity uh, being? Because where do we think that continuity is displaying itself and then to look more closely say oh okay underneath that 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 uh, display of what we think is there's continuous continuity constancy and then there's a there's more happening there and that takes investigation so that just being able to recognize it the the experience of, of say the universal characteristic of dukkha, as the Buddha says, is is hidden by by changing postures. It's just we're always moving away from something that is uncomfortable. So whatever it's just it's it's, it's the habit of the mind, habit of the human condition, and it doesn't mean that uh, we have to um, we have to be miserable in order to see dukkha, but it's more like um, being willing not to follow that first impulse to move away. It's that willingness to de- be present. And there was uh, uh, the uh, when we. For myself and many of us who trained with Ajahn Chah, uh, we would go to him with difficulties or questions and and uh, uh, things that we wanted him to solve for us or problems or and so often, um, like really often, his his answer was. Can you just be patient with it? And it would just would be really frustrating. <laughs> no, I can't be patient with it. <laughs> but that, and that, because, but also the sense of that patience from the, 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 the from the Buddhist sense, kanti uh, is. You realize that kanti, uh, say in the Buddhist teachings. Is a, um, it's a it's a virtue that is uh, really lifted up as a part and parcel of the, the tools of liberation. Um, and I think the way that we tend to r- relate to patience is is uh, you know patience is just putting up with something that you don't like, waiting for it to be over. <laughs> And, and I don't think that's a liberating quality. <laughs> so, but the, 
things, but see, kanti or patience from the, the, the Buddhist perspective, is much more the, the willingness to be present with what we're experiencing. Because then it starts to reveal itself. Uh, so that, especially with dukkha, where the, the habit is to change the posture, whether it's a physical posture or a mental posture, an emotional posture, uh, a posture of self, and we, we keep moving away from what's a bit uncomfortable. So the, the, in terms of practice, is to be lifting that up as a possibility. Okay, can I, be, can I be patient with this? Can I be present with this? Maybe that's a better word because it's, can I just be present with this for, for, for a while? And, and then you start realizing, oh, okay, thing, when one, and it's that being present with a, an awareness, an attention, an alertness that uh, the one, I think there's a certain confidence arises in the, in, in the heart where one, yeah, I don't, don't need to be intimidated by this experience. Also a sense of clarity of getting a context for this is this is uh, uh, this is uh, uh, like uh, one of the uh, refrains in in uh, uh, Ajahn Sumedho's teaching. Ajahn Sumedho is the senior Western disciple of of Ajahn Chah, and one of the refrains that comes through his teachings over and over again is this: this uh, "It's like this." And sort of, okay, you're experiencing um, something that's pleasant. Well, it's, it's like this. You're feeling something unpleasant. It's like this. Learning how this, you're feeling happy. Happiness is like this. Feeling sad. Sad is like this. Sort of like that willingness to say, oh, it's like this. And all of a sudden, there's that ability to, oh, it's just, it's like this. It's, it's just this much. It's not anything more than that. It doesn't have to be anything uh, more complicated than that. It's just this way. And, and, uh, and then you, you get a, a context for it. So that, that sense of, of uh, uh, the impermanence, unsatisfactory, non-self. And then with the non-self is, sort of saying, well, that which is impermanent, changing, uncertain, unsure, that which is uh, dukkha, okay, it's unsatisfactory, stressful, anxiety, conducive to discontent, disease. Is that what I want to be self? Why, to be myself? I don't think so. And so it's sort of, oh, I can let that be anatta. It can be that is the sense. Okay, it's not that it's not there. It's not that it's, it doesn't have an impact. It isn't as if, it, if it, that we don't feel anything. But it's sort of, uh, it's there. And I don't have to make anything more of it. It is not self. That which is not mine, uh, I don't have to get overly concerned about. I don't have to get obsessed about. It's not mine. Um, things that are because the where we where we place that label of mine uh, 
so many of the problems, conflicts arise. And, uh, so that, that just sort of, you know, saying, oh, it's not mine. Uh, as Ajahn Hamro recently has been, been uh, uh, teaching a, uh, using a refrain, something that he learned from, uh, he's living in England now, and because uh, there's a lot of contact with the uh, different European nationalities, and uh, now the monastery in England is, is uh, probably two-thirds, a third English and two-thirds other nationalities, so it's very diverse. And so you end up sort of... Anyway, he's come across a, across a, a Polish folk saying, or, and... Uh, uh, which is really has good dhamma in it. Not my monkey, not my circus. Anatta, anatta. Not my monkey, not my circus. Because it feels so much. Oh, this is mine. This is me. This is myself. And so, just to be able to have that that uh, rejoinder. Oh, no, not my monkey, not my circus. And do I have to really take this on? And again, it's sort of, okay, we might have to deal with something skillfully. We might need to be really, you know, apply our discernment and wisdom uh, in a proper way. But we don't have to carry the burden of me. And so that's an incredible relief. So these these teachings of... Uh, just anicca dukkanatta. I mean, they're kind of the that impermanence, suffering, not self. It's not just to slap a label on it and somehow it's going to be insight. Uh, we have to lift it up and investigate it. Lift it up and feel it. Lift it up, experience. How do I work with this skillfully? How do I how do I incline my attention uh, to something that allows uh, a sense of, of peace and clarity uh, and how do I relinquish the things that get pull at me and want to uh, create agitation or anxiety uh, so that that's, that that's a function of discernment but it does come back to a fundamental say awareness attention that we keep building through our our, our, our day and uh, through our meditation, but also through our uh, how we interact and carry the Dhamma practice in our daily life. So, I think we can uh, uh, take the opportunity to, before the lunch break, to have a, uh, another short sit and just let the mind settle. Uh, come back to the breathing, back to the body.
Okay, looks like we've got everybody. <laughs> Everybody's in, doors are closed. <laughs> um, I thought I would uh, open up the afternoon uh, with some questions and answers. Just after the meal, it's probably not a great time to be sitting meditation. <laughs> so that... Uh, um, if we uh, just open up that opportunity, uh, people have uh, any questions uh, that uh, uh, I could respond to. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Ah, okay. I was wondering about that. Uh, thank you for, for coming here today. Um, I was just wondering, I, I got here a little late this morning, so maybe you talked about it this a little bit before but as far as attachment and if you could maybe talk about attachment and uh, how it relates to the theme or okay yeah I think one, one of the uh, aspects of, of attachment um, is uh, again I think it's helpful sometimes knowing some of the, the uh, say Buddhist jargon and uh, uh, which I talked about a bit this morning, but the word that's normally used for for attachment, um, its uh, word is upadana in in the scriptural language, and an, a literal translation could be fuel. So it's like the fuel for our 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 suffering, uh, the fuel for our our sort of complications uh, so that that's uh, when we start to look at okay well how am I how, how am I fueling this what am I what what am I throwing on the fire of my my chaos already uh, so then the, so well that's because sometimes we, we it's easy to come from a, a see the a, a doctrinal or idealistic like I should have no attachment, um, and uh, and then when we idealize what 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 would that be like to live with no attachment? Then um, actually, it gets more complicated right? because it it seems well, you know, what does that mean? Because it so I think it's important to sort of look at it in terms of a experience. What happens when I when I feed or give fuel to to something, does it grow? Does it get stronger? Does it get more uh, complicated and robust? Uh, and particularly in terms of attachment being uh, the the aspects which are a, a, a prelude to to full blown dukkha. <laughs> So then it's, it's sort of you start to say, oh, well, how does that process work? So then that aspect of attachment is the, uh, sort of there's like that desire, craving, thirst. Then we sort of hold on to it tightly, uh, um, grasp after it, feed the, 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 that kind of clinging, and then we're tangled up with it. Uh, so that the attachment is more like, okay, how do I create some space around this? Uh, 
How do I just let that? And, and again, the contemplation of of impermanence is such a uh, a helpful tool of being able to recognize, uh, um, however however desirable something appears, however um, uh, kind of reprehensible something seems. Um, oh well, there's that's it's not that solid. It's not that stable. And there's some space for it to change, to dissipate. And then we can be engaged in that, that process. Uh, so then we have that opportunity of seeing, you know, where is it that we, we attach? Where do we feed this? And how do we, how do we relinquish? How do we... And you see what happens when I put, put down... Uh, I, you know, and you think, you know, well, you know, because oftentimes, you know, our attachments are kind of, you know, kind of, usually not that major. Um, but then, you know, if you attach to this and hold on to it, and then attach to this and hold on to it, and it occurs, well, I got something else as well. And then I try to pick up my glass of water and have a drink of water, and then it's just all over the place. You know? So it's it's that, just that you realize, oh, oh. I'm carrying a burden. How do I? How how can I help myself, and and just put a few things down? So attachment is is a point of investigation that gives us the opportunity to 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 release and relinquish. Okay. Yes. Just a second. We'll get the wait for the mics. So I wonder if you could talk a little more about that that phrase that I've heard attributed to Ajahn Shah before, uh, the one who knows, mm-hmm. in speaking about, like you said something about um, the mind and learn the difference between the, the one who knows and the mind objects. Yep. So, but now the mind, if it's not, when you're talking about the mind and not being objects, um, are you talking about a sort of like aware, uh, sort of like more of a pure awareness type of a thing? I mm-hmm. I don't usually associate that with the mind, but maybe it is. Right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean the the, the uh, I mean part of it is is. Uh, um, um, coming back, let's say, with uh, the, this phrase that comes up in uh, uh, Thai tradition uh, of the uh, uh, the one who knows, and that's actually a direct uh, or one of the di- direct translations of the word Buddha. So that Buddha is the one who knows, one who's awakened, one who's radiant. That is the fundamental qualities of, of the Buddha. And, and always uh, in, in practice, when we, because the Buddha is in, say, works in terms of, uh, say, 
Yeah, there is a historical Buddha, but there's also a quality of Buddha. See, what the Buddha discovered um, was this capacity of the human heart to know clearly, to be awakened, uh, to, to be radiant. And that is a quality that is not, uh, say it wasn't patented by the Buddha, and, and copyrighted, and, and he's going to make some, make a few bucks on it. Uh, it was um, it, this is something that he realized. This is something human being, all human beings can access. This is something. This is the capacity of of the within the human condition, and and then his his teachings were guidance and encouragement for us as human beings to be able to access that. So one of the primary qualities is just this fundamental quality of knowing, just being able to know, knowing hot and cold, knowing um, happiness and suffering, uh, knowing external, knowing internal, that fundamental quality of knowing. But then, of course, it, it's, it's, you start to cultivate aspects of discernment and, and investigation and, and using the faculties of, of uh, discernment to, to be able to make choices as to what's really for my true benefit and the benefit of others, because it isn't separate. Uh, so then this, this, so we keep coming back to this fundamental quality of knowing that we can then look after, cherish, give attention to. Uh, and, and that's, that's where our, both our aspiration and, and, and our motivation comes from. Um, and it's also where our frustration and, uh, and, uh, because then you start to recognize, oh wow, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> so it's, but but then but you've got a handle on it, so that it's really you know it's really encouraging. So this sense of the one who knows is is coming back to a, an internal sense. Like there was one time, a uh, um, there was a monk came to pay respects to uh, another uh, very respected teacher in Thailand, Ajahn Buddhadasa. Uh, and uh, he, uh, um, and he came and uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa was known as a great scholar as well as a, 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 a great uh, meditator, practitioner. And, and asked him in more of like a theoretical way what is it that I need to, um, you know, what do I need to, to know and to cultivate in order for me to really fulfill the, the, the Buddha's path? And, but it would, and the way he phrased it, and I think the feel that, that Ajahn Buddhadasa got was, uh, he's coming at it from a, more of a scholarly background, and more of a theoretical background. And so his answer was was very skillful. He said, 
because he turned it back on himself and saying, what you have to know uh, is the, uh, the, say, the knowledge and intention that brought you here in the first place to ask that question. So that what is it that pulls us toward something that is peaceful? What is it that pulls us toward something that's true? What is it that pulls us toward something that's compassionate? And it's not just a theory, it's not a... So you realize, oh, yeah, now I need to know that and nurture that. Okay? There's a hand right there. I was just wondering this morning, um, as I tried to meditate unsuccessfully in my chair like two or three times in a row and just kept drowsing off, um, I eventually just gave in because I felt like, well, if that's what my mind needs, I'm going to do that. But, um, and I just slept, and then I slept in the car later. But I was wondering if there's, if, is that, I, what I wanted to do was meditate. I came here to practice a little bit and, and have... Mm-hmm. Uh, an experience of concentration and maybe insight, and instead I had, uh, you know, t- <laughs> sleepiness to the max. And I'm wondering, should in that case, um, is it is that wisdom to simply say, well, I guess I'm sleepy. I'll just sleep and just accept it and be gentle in accepting. Or should is there a trick? Is there, a, <laughs> is there a skill? Is there a way? You know, when you lift weights, you, you push yeah. through the pain and you go, yeah, yeah, should yeah, I push yeah. through the sleepy and just yeah, kick yeah. ass meditating? Or, you know, that's, that was my question. Yeah. Because uh, sometimes it's, yeah, it really is wisdom to just know when, okay, this is, this is kind of fruitless. Um, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, um, and the reality is, is you you went and you you uh, uh, had a bit of a rest and and uh, came back. You're ready for the afternoon, you know. So that that uh, sometimes that's 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 what we need. I mean, it's uh, as you know, we set up ideals for ourselves so often. Uh, we set up ideals and we uh, and then we judge ourselves um, because we're hopeless failures and you know. And, and I you know, said, so, oh, I just wanted to meditate and be happy. <laughs> you know, so you just have to be attentive to, to well, what, is, what, what does my body need? And what does my mind need? And some, and part of it is we need to rest. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes, like, like coming into a, a safe, peaceful place, I sort of, oh, you can let your guard down, but then... You know, okay. Really, what what's coming up is I'm tired. Uh, so that uh, uh, knowing when to just give us give oneself that time, uh, and obviously it wasn't your it wasn't the the uh, uh, you said you you tried a few times, uh, so it wasn't sort of you got got here and sort of packed it in within five minutes. And I'm going back to my car and sleep. <laughs> Yeah. So you know. So that you know. Sometimes you you push up against the you push up against the edge. Um, sometimes like that, 
but then sort of, no, it's not, it's not moving. Uh, you know, in an ideal world, yeah, I'd be able to sit down, meditate, breathe in, breathe out, be peaceful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there, there's these other aspects that, that, that you use. The same with, like, pain and discomfort. Uh, sometimes pain, you know, people feel, oh, I've got to, I've got to sit, and I've got to sit through this. I'm, I'm a meditator. And, and it, uh, it, you know, it's just is, is, uh, it's much more fruitful to, to, uh, either to, to walk, to stand, uh, sit uh, in a, a, a position that is actually more supportive of alertness and not just having to, uh, be impinged on with pain, uh, lying down sometimes, uh, so that that uh, uh, these are the uh, things that the realities that we face uh, when we when we when we uh, uh, when we practice. You know, it's just tiredness, sleepiness, pain, discomfort. Um, so that that uh, being able to adapt. Uh, to that and and hold it in a context of of uh, what can I learn from this? How can I work with this so that it's skillful? One of the kind of the baselines that the Buddha uses in terms of uh, is practice uh, fruitful, beneficial? Is it going in the right direction? Uh, is is there an increase in wholesome mental states or, it, uh, or an increase in unwholesome mental states? Uh, is there a decrease? And so, that, so the increase of wholesome, the decrease of the unwholesome, increase of the skillful, decrease of the, of the unskillful, sort of increase of what's peaceful and clear, decrease of what's agitated and clouded. Um, so that, Decrease, increase of what's kind of bright, decrease of what's dull. So that that those are kind of guidelines. Of, you know, how do I? What, how do I? Because you have to pay attention to external conditions. Uh, how do I fit into external circumstances? How do I deal with my own uh, states of mind? And, and, and uh, how to work with that. So that it's, it's something to learn from. Okay. Speaking of increasing uh, pleasant states, I have to say that my experience in the world lately has been troublesome with the number of hateful things people seem to be doing to each other now. Mm-hmm. And as an individual, you know, I sit in this room and we're all, you know, of one mind and it's pleasant and we can nap or we can munch or we can talk about uh, our practice, but I don't know how to bring it out there and I really don't know how to decrease my anxiety over the, uh, um, the presence of the ugliness of some of uh, our human behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think... Uh... The world. The one thing is that it's been pretty. World has been pretty consistent like this for a long time. So it goes in cycles, goes in phases, and uh, uh, that's why the Buddha made a a very explicit encouragement to uh, draw close to 
good spiritual friendships, and pay attention to the people one associates with, because they affect us. Um, and it's like the uh, um, there's a one of the chants that we do on a regular basis, which is a a, a blessing chant, a protection chant, and well, a sort of a multi-purpose. And it's actually called it's a discourse that the Buddha gave on the highest blessings, and uh, um, the very first line is don't associate with fools second is associate with the wise I mean sort of like right out of the gates of the you know, what do we what do we do what are we who are we associating with uh, and then nowadays with with uh, uh, media and media access and and uh, uh, it's all over the place what are we what are we associating with in terms of um, uh, our contact with media and and information? Uh, because we have that choice. We can make a choice of who do we... Uh, and so that, uh, um, you know, sometimes, you know, people will, will uh, uh, for their... Uh, uh, say their physical well-being uh, go on fasts uh, for your health health benefits of fasts, um, but I think media fasts are really <laughs> helpful. Uh, just uh, you don't have to know everything, uh, and it doesn't mean that you you just sort of stick your head in the sand and and it isn't happening. But it's sort of like, how much can I um, skillfully hold uh, so that it's it's not overwhelming me? And how much, and where do I want to direct my attention so that I can uh, use my time and attention in ways that help the mind? Because if if I am uh, more uplifted and clear, then I can have a more positive benefit on the people around around me. So that's just a couple of reflections. There. The mic. There's somebody here. Um, I was wondering, you, you talked about uh, the differentiated between the sense of no self versus annihilation of the self. So I was wondering if you could expand on those two points and then maybe also tie it into the concept of shunya or shunyata uh, more specifically. Uh-huh. Make sense? Yeah, so the, uh, that sense of, of, uh, uh, of course, that the aspect of of self, uh, the uh, the way it manifests is is through those aspects of or stances or positions that we take internally. Sort of I, uh, sort of I am. Uh, this is me. This is who I am. This is mine. 
There's a great Beatles song. I am me mine, I am me mine, I am me mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> this, you know, all through the day. <laughs> that's really like that. This sort of that's the refrain that the, the, the song that keeps us going, <laughs> uh, which is you know it's kind of burdensome and and uh, um, you know kind of narrow actually. Uh, and then the annihilation of self is that that pushing away in terms of I shouldn't be this way I don't want the world to be like this uh, I, I, I don't I, I don't want to exist I don't feel I should exist uh, so there's a, a, a sort of a nihilist bent uh, and uh, so that those are, are, are extremes and it's that 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 say that the not self of the Buddhas is sort of like a middle way which can can recognize the 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 say the utility of the the I position or the utility of sometimes okay I'm, this needs to be relinquished better off not propping it up. So then there's a, there's a certain freedom there of, of uh, uh, one can utilize it, r- make use of it, but then it's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not clung to. And that's what emptiness is not a, a metaphysical emptiness um, in, in Buddhism, or certainly in the, in the uh, say, in the, in the Theravada tradition. Um, it's it's not a uh, uh, I say uh, uh, a metaphysical ideal. It's it's a functional emptiness is a functional tool of so the the emptiness of of this self position that it doesn't have substance. It doesn't have solidity. Uh, it's not substantial. So then then it doesn't need to be. Uh, clung to or propped up and it can be seen for what it is uh, so then there's a lot of freedom in that okay there's there's a person here thank you there's impermanence that is more obvious to a human being in terms of how long we exist. So a rainbow appears, we know it's just temporary, we appreciate it, it disappears, the causes and conditions change. What's harder is things that occur maybe over the course of our lifetime that we tend to see as permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could offer any reflection on time frames of, of impermanence. Um, and how we can engage with those longer things that seem so permanent when they're not. Right. I think that's where we 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 have to rely on because uh, the things that we don't we can't substantially concretely see changing. Then that's where where we have to use our 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 
discernment, intellect, rational thought, um, and uh, sort of information from elsewhere. And uh, because the uh, um, the Buddha takes it, you know, not just from the momentary impermanence of a of a thought process, um, which is incredibly fast, um, but he talks about it in terms of the the impermanence of the arising and ceasing of world systems, those are universes coming into being and passing away. So that that uh, uh, sort of more on a um, yeah, a solar system arising and ceasing. Um, so, but we can't experience that from our, our perspective. But, uh, I mean, it's interesting that, that uh, same science is, is sort of, and the Buddha talked to that 2,500 years ago, and, uh, and sort of modern science is sort of saying, oh yeah, that's how the universe functions. Uh-huh. Uh, so that that and he, oh, he speaks of it as the expansion and contraction of world systems. So it's like the that arising and ceasing sort of. So that that uh, um, seeing that that on the biggest scale of things, it's impermanent. On the smallest scale of things, and everything in between. Um, so, but we do need to to use it as a say conceptual level. Uh, and but then again, that's the ability of the human mind is that we can take a concept and we can bring it into the heart and experience it. We can feel it. We can get a, a, a sense for what it's pointing to. So that that that's uh, uh, some of the thing and and things we have to just take on and say, okay, that's what the Buddha said. And, um, take it as a, a, a theory that we start to investigate, and uh, so as a, as, a, as a working working hypothesis, and say, mm. and then you start gathering evidence for that, and the more attentive you are to the evidence, the more it's like, wow, everything is really impermanent. Okay. Over here, yeah. Mic over on this side. Oh, okay. Wherever you. Oh, you've got one. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Go I was for lucky, it. Okay, I guess. Um, how, in the face of impermanence, do we understand the the concept of the unborn? Um. Well, I mean that's uh, what. Like in the, um, what the Buddha points to is that all conditioned things are impermanent. And conditioned meaning anything that is constructed, fabricated, put together by various conditions. Uh, and so that's both mental and physical, external, internal. 
And that's what's called, in, in Buddhist jargon, it's called a sankara. And, but the Buddha also pointed to, uh, you know, there is this unborn, unconditioned element. He calls it an element in the sense that uh, there is a there is the opportunity to experience uh, that which is uncompounded, unconstructed, unfabricated, unborn. This is and and that that's what nibbana is. Uh, so that. That is, there is this possibility to experience it. So it's the, 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 uh, let me say, the, uh, the counterpoint to, uh, to impermanent conditions. <laughs> That's more than you wanted to know, I'll bet. <laughs> That's why. That's why. I don't usually talk. It's hard to talk about it in a public setting, but but uh, there 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 are. Uh, I think it's it, it is important. To, I mean, it's something you know, one has to again. You, know, you start te- te- teaching about an ultimate goal or ultimate perspective. Those these are these are sort of okay. What, what what's the Buddha's? What's his end game? Um, and yeah, the end game is not just to to uh, put up with the world or put up with uh, the the experience as a human being. But there is something that is transcendent. There is something that is completely liberating. And this is what he what he found, and that's what his teachings are for. Uh, and but it's. It's incredibly uh, astute of him to use the skill of learning how to navigate the the compounded, the fabricated, the conditioned world, and that you gain confidence in in the sense that not only uh, not only does that work. There's got to be something more than this. <laughs> There's somebody right behind you. I have kind of a pragmatic question. Um, since this day is about impermanence and anxiety, I experience anxiety as excruciatingly physical. Mm-hmm. And I would love to get your insight in how to be more, more skillful with the, the discomfort yeah. As it comes and disappears, but mostly comes right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's where where uh, it's like learning to learning to use the breath, um, so that one can the, when one is experiencing that uh, kind of the discomfort of anxiety and uh, uh, that 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 sense of of distress that that they feel viscerally, uh, 
then the because the breath is, is is a neutral sensation mostly, and then just learning how to use the 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 attention on the breath, and because it's there's that rhythm that we can start to relax the body with, and and sometimes it's it's helpful to. Mm, and when you take note of where you're experiencing it most, say, acutely, uh, and sometimes you can go there, but oftentimes it's too much. Uh, but then to get, getting a sense of connection with the, the body and then being able to move attention and breathing into other aspects of the body, areas of the body, then you start to Oh, okay. That's that. That's that's okay. And you start to, and then you can expand that. So it's like learning how to to find places where you can be comfortable, and then that starts to you gain confidence in that. Oh, this is this is possible. So then you can then it starts to 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 expand to other areas where 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 it is uncomfortable, but say, okay, can it approach that? Um, so that, that, that's where um, meditation it is uh, important to be um, uh, yeah, not too uh, not too technique oriented not too uh, uh, rigid in one's application, uh, so that you can you can just shift that attention around, pay attention to the feeling in the body, pay attention to okay, what's my mind going towards? What's it shrinking back from? Um, how can I how can I approach that and be be kind with that? Also, just using. Um, Aspects of, of say, Buddhist practice, uh, and I think this is okay, see, see, seeing Buddhist practice as a bigger picture than just a, a meditation or a mindfulness technique, but uh, the just recollections of of generosity, uh, where one recollect, and this is a very common part of say traditional Buddhist practice. Just the, the 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 recollection of bringing to mind uh, the, those times when one has given, has shared, has has been generous, and it feels good. Um, the bringing to mind of of the uh, times when one has has been been uh, been virtuous. And, and has held to one's integrity, it feels good. Um, paying attention to the times when one's, one has been of service to others, um, it feels good. Uh, the cultivation of uh, aspects of, uh, say, of uh, say, a loving-kindness meditation, uh, as opposed to a, a strict sort of technique of mindfulness of breathing or it can be it can be incorporated in many different ways so loving kindness uh, as a meditation uh, recollection of 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 the uh, of the Buddha 
of, as, a, as a devotional uh, object of meditation. These are all t- traditional meditation techniques. Uh, chanting, which has a, uh, uh, you know, it's a way of putting forth energies, focusing the mind, and, but it's not, it's not just a silent meditation. Uh, so, so you realize, oh, I got lots of tools. Okay, one more question. Perhaps. I would like to hear you talk about the void, anything you'd like to talk about in the void, and um, if you would say, is that the unborn, unconditional element of pure potential? Um, well, again, that's similar to the question on emptiness. In the sense that, that uh, you know, I think sometimes the way it's talked about, or um, it becomes like a like a metaphysical entity, and um, the uh, I don't know about anybody else, but you know, the void doesn't seem inspiring to me. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't feel like anything. <laughs> so, uh, but but that but it but it's it, it, it it's it's kind of a you know it, it's it, it's found its way into Buddhist terminology, and and I don't feel it's a um, a useful term um, because it does tend to elicit that concept of. Of a yeah, like a a, a a metaphysical entity, a thing, um, and um, say emptiness or, or voidness, even in uh, in in the Buddhist teachings, and in the certainly in the in the uh, uh, Theravada scriptures, it's always uh, when one speaks of Emptiness, it's always relational. Uh, in the sense that uh, if, uh, and there's a, like the, the, one of the discourses, I can't remember if it's the, the greater or the lesser discourse on emptiness that the Buddha uh, uh, uses that theme and develops. And it, it, it begins with uh, like the uh, the village being empty of animals and people and whatnot, and it's sort of like it's empty of something, uh, and then it's ta- and then it, it's sort of extending that, uh, and then it's but then it's it always comes back to the 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 sense of identity uh, being empty of this focus and identification with body and mind. And so it's sort of, it's a relational emptiness. So that, then you're, 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 you're giving, it's not sort of like a, a solid piece of emptiness or a solid piece of voidness, but it's sort of like, oh, this is a, a way that I can let go of the habit of, identifying 
So it's a tool. So the emptiness is, 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 is one of the tools that we use that help us to set down or, or relinquish the ways that we create suffering. Right. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't use it like that, no. No. Uh, it's kind of... Uh, or before we were born, actually born. Well, and then that goes into another theory. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but... But yeah, I would I would try to avoid the things that that that, that yeah I, avoid avoid the void yeah <laughs> don't get sucked in. <laughs> okay, let's sit quietly. <laughs> We've got our minds spinning with all of this enough. <laughs> sitting quietly. Coming back to something tangible. Experience of the of the body. Uh, feeling of of weight, of solidity. Feeling of comfort, of ease. Just the feeling of the breath coming in and going out. And the experience of knowing. As the breath comes in, just knowing clearly. As the breath goes out, allow the knowing to be present. that recognition that I can know what I'm experiencing. That's the kind of the root basis of our practice. We don't have to analyze it, we don't have to intellectualize it. We don't have to make it into anything. 
the knowing. One of the expressions is really the say the Buddha knowing the Dhamma. And it's just this knowing, this knowing things as they are. It's like this. And it seems so simple that we think there's got to be something more than this. I've got to know something. But allow the heart to rest, a sense of ease, a willingness to experience the breath, using the breath as a vehicle, tool to connect with this quality of knowing. Work with that, allow it to be a catalyst for settling, stilling the heart.
so we could take <clears throat> the opportunity to change postures and uh, go and do some walking meditation. Similarly, as this morning, just finding a shady spot or a sunny one if you like, and, uh, and uh, just finding a spot that's uh, nice and level and just slowly, mindfully walking back and forth.
So with this theme of anxiety about impermanence and impermanence of anxiety. Um, I think one of the things that, that is, uh, um, and I addressed it a bit in terms of looking at, at uh, you know, both anxiety and impermanence, um, but that sense of approaching the uh, um, the physical experience, um, uh, paying attention to how we feel it, where we feel it, grounding attention in the in the uh, uh, in the body. Um, so as a uh, a means of of anchoring awareness but also giving some um, um, ability or confidence that we have a place to focus or direct attention. Um, Because one of the, I think one of the things that that, uh, really spins us out with, uh, say, anxiety, worry, is that uh, we don't have control, the things we don't have control over, um, just you know, really, you know, really spin us out. So that uh, being able to, and of course, when you don't have any control over it, then there's there's no resolution. Um, so it keeps on spinning. Um, so being able to direct attention to something that one does have control over. And, uh, of course, one of the things we don't have much control over at all is our thoughts. Uh, so you know, why bother directing attention there? Um, the... Uh, uh, directing attention to our emotions, how we feel. Um, it's pretty up and down. Body, okay, we've got some control over that in the sense, okay, I can sit here. I can bring attention to the body. I can feel uh, where my arm is. I can feel what my back is doing. I can feel... So that, that's, that's a, uh, an, an aspect that I think it gives us a, a, a bit more confidence and, and a certain comfort because we do say we do seek comfort in uh, uh, things that we can control until you realize that we don't have much control over anything. <laughs> so it's, uh, but then it's it, it that that's a that's actually uh, you know a really helpful insight because um, there's there's that 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 kind of wish that hope uh, assumption uh, that uh, or you know that we really should be able to control. Um, you know, if we were if we were. Re- 
you know, actually worthwhile human beings, we should be able to control everything. <laughs> it's no wonder we're so uh, uh, miserable all the time. Because <laughs> you know, there's assumptions. The assumptions don't accord with reality. Uh, so that, that, uh, uh, that ability to, to uh, say, okay, what do I have control over? And then to direct our attention there and make it simple and make it fundamental, basic. So, okay, I can pay, pay attention to to the breath coming in, the breath going out. I can pay attention to my my posture. I can pay attention. I don't have to sit up straight. I don't have to uh, do anything dazzling or particularly special. But I can just be with this and and that 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 is exercising a certain control that I think we can gain gain some confidence with um, the uh, uh, learning how to just be be uh, um, okay with the um, the inevitable uh and to uh, um, not to uh, not to take it personally, um, and the uh, I just remember one time we had to, one of our monks was was uh, one of the things that we do at the monastery. We sew all our robes uh, so that. Uh, uh, so you have to learn how to use a sewing machine, and uh, uh, and of course, you know, sewing machines always uh, fall apart, go wonky, and you have to. So you have to learn how to to maintain it and make sure that it's running properly. And uh, it was in the days when when we didn't we were still all in the in the house. We didn't have many facilities, and here there's plaintive cry coming out from the next room I said, this machine has it in for me because <laughs> 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 that's how it feels <laughs> the, uh, it's sort of its, its sole function in life was to, was to frustrate me uh, <laughs> and you know, so to 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 actually being able to 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 rather than taking that personally and picking it up, and I was seeing that absurdity in that. And the uh, um, you know things we have again, sort of what we we don't have any control over, and sort of thing. Uh, yeah, it's like the. Uh, You go to a Baigiri or Northern California, away from the coast, and it's going to be hot. And you know, it's not. You know, it feels like it's there just to personally torture me. <laughs> but but uh, I don't think that's the case. You know, it's, it's hard for me to, to, after all these years of practice, to work up the case that it is. Really, it's just out to get me. It's only hot because I'm there. Uh, if I, 
Like, I'm sure it's cool at the monastery today because I'm not there. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, our mind goes in these ways, and we get, you know, either you know, get upset or worried or fearful or uh, agitated, and and uh, you know, it. it uh, so we have to be uh, alert to. Uh, the things that the uh, that the mind does, and, you know, where do I mean, it, it's it, it's suffering, but it's also, you know, looked at in another way. I mean, it, it, it's kind of absurd. Mm-hmm. The uh, the things we do to ourselves, just for the fun of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and. I think the uh, and just learning how to accept. Okay, this this is uh, it's like this, and so the heat is like this. Doing a particular task is like this. Dealing with a certain person is like this. They are. uh, It's like oh, I told the uh, the community the other day. I've been been. uh, been listening to uh, a biography of a a very senior monk in Thailand. And uh, for those who don't know the Thai forest tradition, sort of like the grandfather of the forest tradition is Ajahn Man, a great meditation master, great uh, uh, meditative powers, wisdom, skills in teaching, uh, he was uh, Ajahn Chah's teacher. Uh, he also had a contemporary uh, uh, who was his original teacher. But then he went, Ajahn, his name was Ajahn Sao, a little bit older than him. And then, but after Ajahn Man was fully enlightened, he went back and taught his teacher Ajahn Sao, and Ajahn Sao became enlightened. Anyway, one of the things that Ajahn Man did was um, convinced his his uh, mother to come and uh, ordain as a nun, practice, live in the monastery, and. Uh, But uh, she'd never listened to him. <laughs> so he had to. He said he had to ask Ajahn Sao to take his mother, <laughs> and and she, and and his mother really respected Ajahn Sao. So then that, that was a, it. Worked really well. But it was just like you know, you know, enlightened master, and your your mother doesn't. You don't get along with your mother. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way it is. It's always been like this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's this ability to sort of say, oh, yeah, it's like this. Uh, it isn't a source of, of dukkha, sort of uh, Ajahn Man going off somewhere and pouting. And <laughs> I went through all those ascetic practices and my mother, she, she still doesn't know. <laughs> 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 <It's just, laughs> 
the absurdity of that is, is but it's sort of okay. That's okay. It's like this. Oh, okay. But yeah, she really respects Ajahn Chah. Okay. Uh, so that that uh, it works. So that that it's like uh, uh, the image that uh, uh, image simile that that Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Chah uses, sort of in the sense of. of you know, try, expecting something that is impossible, or, or trying to make something the way that you think it should be, rather than than the way it is. And he said, it's like that's like somebody going into the village in, say, like in northeast Thailand, very rural, very agrarian. Uh, and and he said, you go into the village, and and you know, there's ducks and chickens around. And he said, that's like starting to. Why aren't the ducks more like the chickens? <laughs> you, know, you know, the chickens—they you know, can run really well, and you know, they, 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 they crow in the morning. And the, the ducks—they don't do anything. They, they can't walk very well. Why aren't you know? They just quack all the time. You know, why aren't ducks more like chickens? You know, that's, <laughs> you think, oh, that's really dumb. I mean, it's it's just is absurd. So that. You know, much of our, you know, why isn't the world like this? Why isn't that person like this? Why aren't I more like this? Why why aren't ducks more like chickens? It's just, duck's a duck, a chicken's a chicken. And that, it's really clear. Uh, And and that's, uh, we're we're not making a problem of existence. We're not making a problem of reality. We're not making a problem out of the inevitable. The world is like this. Human mind is like this. Uh, existence is like this. And sort of, and that's where you're making this clarity. And, and there's, we don't need to add anxiety or fear or worry or or just attachment to control it. It's just sort of, it's like this. It's a really simple uh, perspective that is really liberating uh, and it takes practice uh, so that that learning how to to practice to train to to encourage ourselves so that that um, <coughs> another image that Ajahn Chah used one time he says uh, you know we just you know, as practitioners, we just have to learn how to do the math. And said, so, huh? <laughs> you know, he said, yeah, you have to learn how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Because you know? sometimes all we do is keep adding. <laughs> and we forget to subtract. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're just multiplying things and we forget to divide. Or sometimes we divide when you know we're undermining something, and we should be multiplying, you know? so that we have to learn how to do the math. <laughs> you know what is it that's useful? Again, you're the 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 the, the uh, um, what you keep coming back to is what is it that helps the mind increase wholesome qualities, decrease the unwholesome qualities, increase. The, the skillful qualities decrease the the the, the, the unskillful. 
yeah, sometimes you need to add, sometimes you need to need to subtract. And so that, that those are you know, skillful ways of working working with the mind. Uh, that that learning learning these skills. Of course the the uh, uh, the tools of uh, looking, investigating uh, impermanence, unsatisfactory, not self. These are the, uh, the universal characteristics, uh, aspects of the the way things are, and there's an interesting teaching uh, where the Buddha points to say the fruits of insight into say into impermanence uh, so that the the say the liberation of the heart or the freedom of, of mind that arises uh, is um, uh, you say in the scriptural language it's called uh, animita so animita vimoka sort of the liberation of signlessness so but what it is is in the sense that because one attends to the impermanent then the mind doesn't start grasping at the signs of things in the sense of um, you know something displays the sign of what is pleasing and delightful and but the mind doesn't grasp onto it because it's it has this signless liberation to to move towards or to absorb towards uh, uh, to delight in and so that that there's a uh, kind of a, a, a non entanglement in 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 the signs of how things present themselves so that sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, mental formations, mental thoughts, the, the, the sign of that, uh, feelings that we experience. It has a, it presents itself. Uh, it has a, it has a, an image or a, uh, uh, an impression. Uh, and we don't, we can turn to the, to the recognition of its Uncertainty, impermanence, instability, and then it can, it can. It's not that we don't see it, experience it, but it doesn't hold. Uh, we don't spin off with, spin off with it. And that, uh, so this this quality of signlessness, and it's not signlessness in the sense of kind of space cadet, not aware aware of anything. Uh, but it's sort of like uh, it isn't. It isn't grabbing the mind and pulling it down. The uh, the insight and 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 development of say of the the uh, investigation into into dukkha, um, unsatisfactoriness, disease. Um, stress, anxiety. Um, the uh, 
is in this scriptural language what's called apanihita vimoka. The, the vimoka is like liberation. Uh, and apanihita is like, literally means desireless. Uh, so that there's a, a tent that uh, the mind doesn't get moved to that, that desire, craving, attachment mode. Um, because it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's sort of like it, it's, seen the, it's seen the pain in it. It's seen the complication of it. It's seen the, uh, the, the inability of it to really satisfy. So there's a coolness there. And it's a liberation. It's not just sort of a shutting off. It's, but it's, a, it's sort of like, oh, I don't have to do that. And it's a real relief. A real release, and so that 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 desireless is 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 a is a real cooling, um, and then the the uh, uh, say the insight into the characteristic of anatta is is sunyata, and I, I spoke about that earlier. That's why it stimulated my my memory. Uh, so that that. Uh, there's a liberation of, of emptiness. Um, but then, as I was saying, it's not a, a metaphysical emptiness or, or a thing, a place. But it's a, it's a relational to that one is not, one is, there's like an insubstantiality to both the external and internal world. So that there's a, uh, um, the mind isn't building identities out of it. It's not building, building the world or building the self. It's just, oh, it's like that. Uh, so there's a, <clears throat> uh, so these are, are, are liberations that are, are accessible uh, and and it's that those contemplations of um, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self that that are the the gateway, um, and and it's important to to again in a sense because sometimes um, the uh, uh, that. Uh, some of the, sometimes the teachings are presented. Uh, in a way, that, you know, this this constant refrain of anicca dukkha nata, anicca dukkha nata, and it's just is so boring. <laughs> you know, in the sense that, wow, it doesn't really inspire the mind. Uh, but so it's important to see oh, where is it, what's it leading to, uh, and and then what does it rely on? What's its base? Um, so that. And this is where the, the context of the path, like in the, the uh, uh, say, the path that the Buddha teaches, the path that the Buddha gives, um, say, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, each aspect of the, of the path uh, is actually a basis of happiness and well-being. I mean, you you practice the path, and there, that is its immediate result. Uh, that and, and it's quite explicit. 
um, that 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 what that's what one is uh, eliciting as one practices. Uh, it's like the um, the Buddha. There's a whole series of discourses where the Buddha speaks of the the uh, a natural progression uh, of the path, and sometimes he gives different entry points, whether it's faith or 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 dukkha or uh, investigation or virtue, and uh, uh, and but then it uh, there's these whole series of uh, with these very entry points and there's the arising of well-being with the arising of well-being there's the um, uh, cause and condition for the arising of joy for the rising, with the arising of joy it's a cause for condition for arising of tranquility with tranquility as a base arising of of happiness with sukha uh, and then with the arising of happiness um it's the condition for the arising of samadhi, concentration. And I don't know about anybody else, but I know for myself for years, it was, my practice was sort of, sort of like, like when I get my samadhi together, when I get my meditation together, then I'm going to be happy. <laughs> and uh, that's sort of direct opposite of what the Buddha teaches. Just get your happiness together, then your meditation goes really well. <laughs> and it's with that, that, that say, when the, the arising of samadhi, uh, that's when one sees things clearly, and knowledge and vision of the way things truly are. And, the, uh, and it's with that that there's a... Uh, uh, that there's a sense of of dispassion and relinquishing. So it's like the it's the happiness that one cultivates and the well-being that one cultivates that gives one the the uh, uh, the, the kind of motivation impetus uh, to relinquish. It's not that I, oh, I've got to get rid of all my desires before I can meditate, or I've got to be uh, uh, I've really got to be, you know, super restrained in order to, to you know, just learning how to live in a, a skillful way that that really lays the foundation for for a a happiness and well-being that is is rooted in what's wholesome and skillful. Uh, and you find that, that the heart really settles, the mind becomes clear, and it becomes, then it's, it's, it's obvious what, what one needs to do. Uh, so it just, it's sort of like, uh, you know, like, like duh, the no-brainer. Um, why do I keep, why do I keep suffering? It's a, it's it becomes much more clear, and we're hardwired to prefer happiness and well-being to suffering. It's just it's, it's just what we do, uh, which is fortunate because when we can really see it clearly, then that's what we will do. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so it's the, uh, of course, the tools of, that the Buddha gives us, I mean, I think are the most, uh, uh, of course, I'm biased, though. I think they're, they're the absolute, you know, perfect tools for, for really accomplishing uh, that, that goal of happiness and well-being. Uh, Anyway, those are some thoughts for reflection. Maybe I'll open it up for a few more questions. See if I have some any more questions. Is this song? Yeah. Um, with, with great respect and listening carefully, I'm having a hard time. Um, I've looked at impermanence for a while, long time, really. But once I got older and turned 70, there are... I see, I see clearly that things that I would have grasped at and thought would make me happy will not. They all change or they pass and go away. And when you talk about, I know, I know I, I want control and you, and I see that that's not there. The older I get, I, I just fractured my back. So my body is not a place where I have control. Um, and I, I know that if I meditate and get out of my thoughts, I have less suffering, but I don't really have much happiness. I simply have less suffering. And I, I see and am close to many people who have meditated a lot longer than I have. And I, I don't mean to be judgmental, but I don't see them much happier than I am. And it's, it's discouraging. It really is. I, I just had one, one little thing... Well, I'd like to know what you think, but I did have one little moment today when I was doing the walking meditation and I got out of my head. I was just there. I just noticed that the breeze was beautiful and the light was beautiful and I felt I felt some joy. So I did say to myself, maybe one of the things of impermanence is to just be where I am in the moment and if it happens to be joyful to really experience that. 
Okay. Um, yeah, life sucks sometimes. <laughs> the uh, <clears throat> no, I think that the the uh, the sense of of coming back to the because impermanence isn't say because I was saying we have to use impermanence. It isn't just by uh, saying, convincing ourselves of impermanence or everything, but there's also this, the doorway into that non-grasping of how thing, of that, how things present themselves. So, and, uh, and of course with, with physical pain and particularly, say, spinal pain, but that's really oppressive. Uh, so that that's uh, uh, that's something that is uh, is a is a is a major obstacle in terms of of experience. So that one really has to pay attention to well, what, how can I actually get some ease around this? Um, the you know, like sometimes just sitting with a, a uh, 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 impediment like that is, is, is really difficult. So that walking or standing or lying down uh, are ways of alle- alleviating that on a physical level, but then giving some space to be able to reflect and investigate on the things that, that, we, we, that we actually can exercise some... Um, control over or we can relax around or we can be alert to and seeing these the that 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 the habit of mind of 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 that because um, it becomes very heavy when it's um, when it's my pain uh, and or my you know my aging body um, which <coughs> You know, saying before, I mean, I'm 67, so uh, I'm getting along there too, and and carrying around a, a body that's in in uh, not constant pain, but pretty consistent. Uh, they uh, and and so like that with like uh, that was one of the things that uh, when I was coming to America. Uh, the only thing that Ajahn Amaro asked me to do was make uh, special determinations and uh, requesting blessings from, uh, uh, say, senior monks to not uh, have major injuries and because I had a reputation of, of uh, um, I mean, this is as a monk living a pretty safe exist life, you really. uh, uh, This, you know, uh, and the thing that's come back to haunt me, uh, and I did, I was actually, it worked, I haven't actually been hospitalized in the States yet at all. <laughs> so it, uh, but uh, yeah, fractured pelvis come back to haunt me. So that that uh, uh, 
that's, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Um, but it's also, you know, that sense of, yeah, well, that's what, yeah, bodies are like this. Um, and, you know, I definitely don't take my refuge as, as my body. Uh, or even, say, the, uh, say the mind of the, the intellect or the, the, uh, uh, kind of the, the uh, certainly don't take refuge in my memory. You know? <laughs> as, <laughs> as I remember, remember when 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 Chaya passed away, he uh, uh, one of the things that uh, happened was uh, we invited many. Uh, Many teachers to come and and uh, and, and give teachings to uh, uh, to the community, the uh, monastic community, lay community. And um, one of the teachers who came uh, was uh, um, uh, he was considered the at that time probably the foremost meditation master uh, uh, of that era, uh, considered fully enlightened. And uh, and he uh, he got up on the dhamma seat. He was teaching to everybody. He was over eighty at the time, and uh, and about halfway through the talk, he sort of said, "Wow, you people are really lucky." He said, "I'm over eighty now, and my memory's not very good. But what you know, I keep forgetting where I am, so I have to start over." So you, you get. Your people are getting, you know, sometimes two, three, four dhamma talks out of me. <laughs> so, so it's sort of, you know, so yeah, the, there is a, a, you know, obviously we have to rely on our bodies. We have to rely on our minds. Um, but, you know, we can't take them as a refuge. Um, and but there is a refuge in in the in the perspective and how we hold it and in this um, I've mentioned it a few times in this quality of knowing and in that knowing there's a place of peace where we can put down other things it's not that we don't experience it but we can we can relinquish it we put it down we don't have to carry things and that's that's a that's a real blessing Um, you spoke a bit about attachment, um, and I'm curious if you could speak a bit to what um, that looks like in intimate relationships, mm-hmm. um, whether romantically or deep friendships, um, because, you know, we're conditioned in so many ways to relate to such relationships with a certain level of grasping. Right, um, right. So I'm wondering if you can talk about what attachment looks like in relation to loving uh, well I think part, part, attachment is is the expectation that that sort of the attachment that somebody's going to fulfill all your desires for you and make you happy and uh, uh, that's a scenario for disaster <laughs> especially in intimate relationship that's a, what was that meant? And I, and you know, I've been a monk for over forty years, so 
I'm, I'm not the, I, I may or may not be the, uh, uh, the person to ask. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the uh, uh, but I remember somebody, or, you know, uh, you know, reading somewhere where that, that sense of, you know, uh, uh, you know, men go into relationships expecting the woman never to change. And women go into the relationships thinking that the men will change. <laughs> it's, uh, it's difficult. <laughs> so, so, but to, to actually recognize, you know, what, what, what an expectation am I placing on somebody else? To fulfill me, so that's that, that. That's where that relinquishing of attachment uh, is 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 essential in the sense of because that's where we're going to end up creating either conflict or sorrow in different ways, uh, and and uh, and then that that frees up an opportunity for because uh, certainly in terms of of in terms of uh, attachment, uh, uh, the, uh, in the sense of, of, you know, one forms a bond of care and love that one is really uh, faithful to and has an integrity with. You know, that's really important for a, a successful relationship or for a long ongoing relationship. Uh, so those bonds of of integrity and care and 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 empathy uh, those are those are essential for for uh, for a sex- successful relationship. So that that uh, um, but then to pay attention to where where yeah where that attachment of of what I want or how I think it should be or trying to make a duck into a chicken. <laughs> okay, there's a whole bunch of people. Let's see where the, uh, where the microphone lands. Here's one. Um, would you talk about how you use the word refuge in Colloquial English, the only way that comes up is as refugees, which as people from economic disaster or war. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then apparently it's a common word in your circle, so I'd like you to talk about it. Yeah, that's a... Uh, um, say, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha are called refugees. And I think... Uh, say a, a refuge in terms of a place of safety, a place of trust, um, a a place of of um, maybe stability, or or uh, where there is a a uh, 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 this aspect of of, of refuge and uh, is. Uh, but it's also where you know the the nature of 
the mind is that we take, uh, the mind takes refuge in what it thinks will give it pleasure, safety, security. And that's what we're drawn to. Uh, And so that's why it's important to make it a very conscious process of Okay, this. The, what are we? What are we going to refuge in when we go to refuge to the Buddha? And I mean, so there's the, the this historical Buddha, but but that's history. Um, but there's the qualities of the Buddha uh, that are universal qualities that we can. Uh, the the Buddha um, exemplifies, and we can begin to take that as a refuge for our heart. So this, this sense of, as I said, the, the, the traditional translation from, from the Thai, when they translate the word Buddha, say, one who knows, one who's awakened, one who's radiant. And those are the qualities that we want to take as a refuge for the heart. Or the, the say, Dhamma uh, is a, uh, I mean, there's the, external teachings, but then there's the internal quality of, of truth. And what, what's true, what is actually true? What is actually accords with the way things truly are? And so that's what we want to be taking as refuge. And sangha in terms of uh, quality of, I mean, there's external sangha, but it's also pointing to the internal qualities of of goodness, of integrity, of virtue, uh, and, and one who, say, seeks truth. So those are qualities we we can take as refuge. Oh, but you also say um, it's a mistake to take refuge in your body or your intellect mm-hmm. or your bank account or yeah. all the things that we normally look to mm-hmm. for safety. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's quite natural to to be drawn to look for something that is that is actually safe, secure, um, trustworthy. Um, the, uh, the 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 monastery Abhayagiri, um, say Giri means mountain, so it's up in the mountains, up in the hills. But abaya means, uh, say, literally it means fearless, but it's also uh, an epithet for, say, say a place of security. Uh, say, that which is secure, uh, a place where one goes and one doesn't feel fear, or shouldn't feel fear. Uh, so that that's, that's one of the reasons why we named it. So, like giving a, a a place of 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 safety and security. Would you call it a refuge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the time, <laughs> <laughs> we're human beings living together. <laughs> and would you call yourselves refugees? <laughs> yeah, we're absolutely refugees. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Oops. 
Can I go? Okay. Hi. I was wondering just if um, to follow up on the duck chicken story, if from your own experience you could describe a story of sort of skillful non-acceptance. So this idea that humans, um, you know, don't fly, but then someone decided that we could fly. Right. So, you know, I, I just wondered if I'm always trying to find this middle way. It seems easy for me to say, okay, this is what, how things are. She won't listen. Right. I can accept. And then there's this other way where I can sort of try to change things, the other extreme. But there's some in between this middle way, you know, the serenity prayer. Like, I would love an an example from your experience, maybe with your monastery or um, where you saw things could change, but you started accepting where things were and then you strived in a way that was skillful, if if there's an example. What? The life that describes the life of an abbot. (laughs) Like, I know lots, I really know how it should be. Let me tell you. <laughs> but it's rarely, you know, it's rarely the way I want it or how it should be according to my views and opinions and the perception of my ideal monastery. Uh, and that's actually one of the good things of, of uh, practicing. And, and you know, it's like uh, uh, living in community, having this ongoing practice, you get sort of pounded in, into submission. Really. <laughs> you have to accept, oh, this is the way it is. <laughs> but at the same time, do you also strive for growth? Or, or how, do you, how do you do oh, yeah, that yeah, in a healthy yeah. way? How, is well, I think that's, that's where you try to, to you know, you, you, you inc- and oftentimes that's in a monastery, one of the things that we encourage each other um, that's it's really skillful. Like having really good spiritual friendships is something that lifts us all up. Uh, and and because we see the good examples that 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 people 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 exhibit and and how they live. And you know, if, of course, you can always dwell on their faults, but you know that doesn't doesn't really uh, uh, uplift them uplift the mind, but you can really pay attention to their, 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 their good examples, their good qualities, and then it, it, it encourages us. So that's like a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a multi, it's doing the math and multiplying in this sense. Uh, so where, where it really it gives a tremendous support for everybody. There, you go. Uh, thank you, Lumpa. I was wondering, what is the um, role of impermanence in karma as it's coming to fruition now? Um, well, I think part of that is is that uh, again the, the the way that, especially the way that Ajahn Chah holds it, in the sense of unsure, uncertain, because uh, again we can get locked into ideas of of karma or ideas of uh, I did this and it's going to turn out like that or this person did that and it's going to turn out like this and and just to be able to not a sure thing and uh, then it's then you've got some space around it uh, to 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 let it let it manifest however however it is <laughs> okay. 
Thank you. Um, so I, um, ha, I guess my question is about like understanding when it, it plays a little bit on your question of like when to accept things as they are. Mm-hmm. Or when to say this is unacceptable. I mean, mm-hmm. or I don't want this in my life. Like, I don't yeah. want to be continually chasing the dollar in the Bay Area as prices go up and things get crazy here. It's like I, yeah. you know, it's like I wake up and I'm like, this is not tolerable. I don't like it. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing of causes and conditions. Well, should I just sit with it and be like, well, this is okay? But then there's something that just keeps rising up in me like, this is not the life I want. Yeah. And so then I don't really know how to use. Um, Buddhism skillfully because I feel a little oppressed by the oh well it's just causes and conditions because I should just really be happy with what I have and yeah, so, that, yeah. so it's like where do you go with that? Um, that's where you just have to trust your trust your heart and and uh, and but one shouldn't be just falling back on because that's like falling back onto a kind of a doctrinal idealistic. Um, party line, which is, is really not, you really have to pay attention to what, what, what what's, what's going to work for me, uh, which isn't just sort of me, but, uh, you know, in a sense of uh, obsessed with oneself, but it says, no, this has to work for me, because I'm the one who is experiencing it, and then, you know, takes it, you take into account other people, um, but, uh, um, you know those decisions are are, are 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 are. We need to have some confidence in in ourselves of saying, "Well, this is really. Uh, I need a change." Uh, or it's similar in like in a like in a monastery. So it isn't like you accept everybody. It's like no, you need to change. <laughs> Uh, and so that 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 it, and that isn't necessarily unkind or uncompassionate uh, because it affects ourselves and affects others. So you have to be really sort of that sense of, of clarity of okay, what are the values? What are the what's the goal? Uh, how to get there? Thank you. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> thank you for thank you for being here, teaching us today. Um, my question is: being that we have little or no control over most thoughts and emotions, how are we to understand um, the instructions to discipline our body, speech, and mind? Where do we? Where do we put our hopes in that we can accomplish that if we have yeah. so little control? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the, uh, again, there's that uh, sense of okay, no control. But then, yeah, the injunction is to discipline body, speech, and mind, train uh, in in the eightfold path, uh, and uh, but I think also one of the um, um, like the the um, um, 
say the path is in the that's uh, called the three trainings, sort of virtue, meditation, wisdom. But another way of of um, um, say uh, translating that word, um, but I think in in the in the Sanskrit it'd be shuksa. And, and say in Pali Sikha, a tri Sikha, uh, it's a it is is that it's also a learning. So training is also a learning and education. So that that's part of the this qual this fundamental quality of knowing, as when you know something, you're also learning about it. When you learn about it, you can understand it more clearly and then you can act on that and so then that is that is what feeds the process of of the say the the training the discipline uh, uh, in in our body speech and mind in a sense we learn what what actually works and doesn't work what's helpful what's not helpful uh, so that learning through our Actions of body, speech, and mind. Uh, then we 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 incline more consistently to to that which has a, a, a beneficial effect on ourselves and others. Uh, that's your then that's that's wisdom, yeah. That uh, which is another uh, people are getting a poly lesson lessons today, but they the the word that's normally translated as as wisdom. Um, another re- very valid translation is discernment, and and that's a really important distinction, because I mean one in in the Pali language is it's derived from uh, the verb pajhanati, which is so makes it a gerund. So gerunds are are nouns that are based on verbs. So there's an implicit action involved. And wisdom tends to elicit a feeling of it being static. Uh, it's a thing. It's sort of, you know, it's just sort of there. Whereas discernment is something you engage in. And I think that's more the feeling that the, what the Buddha wanted us to do. Because uh, the verb pajanity is, is to, uh, to the, verb, the verb to understand. And so that, that, that sense of engaging in that process of understanding, discerning, seeing clearly. <laughs> okay, why don't we have a time to finish the day in silent meditation, come back to our bodies, come back to our breaths. Had a lot to uh, reflect on, a lot of great discussion good questions uh, to bring all of that into the heart and that's one of the qualities say in uh, in our Buddhist um, chanting or the, that we do on a daily basis recitation of the qualities of the of the Dhamma of the Buddhist teachings. Uh, it's there um, 
what is opanaiko, which means leading inwards. So to be able to draw these teachings into the heart, to be able to draw our experience into the heart and, and to feel it, experience it, be attentive to it, be alert to, to the reactions, responses we have, uh, and then seeing how can we transform this how can we present, be present with this? How can we understand it? Well, that's our, um, and it's in a, in the context of, sort of our, mindfulness, awareness, attentiveness, alertness. Say as opposed to, figuring it out intellectually. It's allowing that teaching to be drawn inwards, to draw into the heart. As we sit here, attentive to the experience of the the breath, allow that awareness to settle in the heart. Experiencing the body, allowing that awareness to settle in the heart, sense of bringing it all back home. So you can sit quietly for a while.
Okay, so that about wraps it up. Just thank you for your attention, your interest. Um, Whatever you've done that you've learned today, whatever peace of heart you've experienced today, take it with you. Don't leave it here. (laughs) Okay, go well.